This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. <clears throat> Brightest panel in Hamilton Radio queued up for you today. I guarantee you this is, um, you know, I know you got stuff to do for the weekend, but put it off for two hours. Stick around by the radio. You will be happy you did. I'll introduce them in just a second. Uh, first, a couple things. I want to tell you this story, first of all, before we get into anything else. Just so you know that your day has actually been okay. I don't care how horrible your day's been. I don't care how awful your week was. I don't care how miserable you feel. Just be glad you're not the guy in Britain who bought a $325,000 Ferrari this week (laughs) and crashed it on the way home from the dealership. He had had possession of it for one hour, got going too fast on the highway, rolled it, got it airborne, it landed and burst into flames, and his $325,000 Ferrari is... And I'm thinking, if you can afford a $325,000 Ferrari, it probably is not the end of the world to you. But the humiliation that this guy must be feeling from his friends and family and everyone who knows him. There's pictures online. You can go find it. Uh, The Ferrari is, well, if I was in the auto insurance business, I believe I would describe this as a write-off. It is... um, is it, a, it is a steaming pile of rubble is the best that I could, uh, there, there is, you actually, well, there's a little bit of a glimmering hood left and that's all. The rest of it is just a scorched out, once beautiful Italian sports car. But so you're there, your day already is better than someone in the world. So take heart. You're listening to the Scott Radley show weeknights from seven to nine on AM 900 CHML. Let me get to the panel. Uh, first up, a veteran, guy we always love having back here, a guy who has a background in radio, though you know him surely better as a politician, both both municipally and provincially. Uh, now with Maple Leaf Strategies, Brad Clark. Thanks for coming in again. It's great being here. And next to him, a first-timer, a guy that I have been wanting to get on this show for a long, long time, because A, he's funny, and B, he's insightful, and C, I just really wanted him to come on because... He didn't want to come on, I think. And so get twisting his arm to get him in here has been an arduous process, but uh, you will be glad he's here. Uh, he is the editorial cartoonist of the Hamilton Spectator, Mr. Graham Mackay. Thanks for doing this. It's a great pleasure to be here. Finally. Yes. Finally getting you to come in. I finally found that day when you could not come up with a single excuse off the top of your head. It just means delaying my beer drinking until... Well, that's o'clock. true. And Wendy probably had some sort of chore for you to do, which was probably the reason why you decided to come today. Um, there was probably some horrible thing waiting. How is that fair? Ratting him out on, on the radio. I mean... <laughs> Every husband in town is mad at you right now. One of the very first, like one that. of the very first times I was ever on the radio, well, I agreed to come on because my wife was having a garage sale, and I despise garage sales. Mm-hmm. And this was my way to. Oh, sorry, I can't participate today. I've got to be on the radio. So I, I've been. Did you there. advertise it at least? Th- that I was going to be on? No, that you're going to have the garage sale. Oh, the garage sale was fully advertised. Oh, cool. I there advertised and then I bolted. And, you did your job. <laughs> I did my duty. I carried the stuff out onto the driveway. The, I hate to say the junk, but it was primarily junk. I mean, honestly, I am convinced. We're not going to talk about garage sales, but I am truly convinced that there are <laughs> yeah, some are. people, <laughs> but there are some people who travel around every Saturday morning. And if you could convince, if you could pass a stool and put it in some sort of jar and convince them it was an antique, they would buy it. There is, it is amazing what people will buy at garage sales. I'm just, anyway. Uh, You know, maybe, let's get to this stuff, because maybe part of why people are doing that ties in, and I'm being facetious, but ties into a story that Graham actually tweeted out earlier today, linked to a story that I find fascinating, because let me read you a little bit of the the top of this to set it up. Uh, It's from the Washington Post, the story today. The most rigorous study yet 
of the effects of marijuana legalization has identified a disturbing result. College students with access to recreational cannabis, on average, earn worse grades and fail classes at a higher rate. So basically what happened was, uh, in the Netherlands, this, po- this study of 4,000 students studied students who never used it and students who used it and students who had been using it and were no longer able to get access at the cannabis cafes. The research on more than 4,000 students published in the Review of Economic Studies found those who lost access to legal marijuana showed substantial improvement in their grades. Specifically, those banned from cannabis cafes had a more than 5% increase in their odds of passing their courses, not a 5% increase in their grades, the chances of just passing their courses. Low-performing students benefited even more, which the researchers noted is particularly important because these students are at a high risk of dropping out. It goes on and on and on. Dude, you're anti-marijuana. Well, so what I'm trying to figure out is, yeah, (laughs) why, if if we found, we know from science, we have scientists all over and doctors saying young people under the age of 25 or 26 who use marijuana change their brains, affect their brains. It is not good for younger, still developing brains. And we've got another study here that says, look, this is clearly having an impact. Why in this country are we in such a rush to legalize this stuff if most of the things we're seeing well, are saying it's not good for you. legalize it used it when they well, were young. Well, okay. Is it that simple? <laughs> so let's just broaden the scope out. That, make, that makes sense. Is it Highly that simple? suspicious. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I thought it was a, a, a Democrat... Democratic uh, item that was a surefire winner for for Justin. So to to come out and say this is what we're going to do and we're going to decriminalize it, we're going to make it available for for recreational use. He got a lot of young people out to vote, and he has to fulfill that if he wants to get reelected. So they're marching down that road because one of the things Graham that we always know is that the voting the group that votes traditionally is older people, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to find a way to get oh. young people out. And if we're going to, hey, pot, here, free pot for everyone is your way to get a, get it, them to cast a ballot. It's a definite vote-getter. And, uh, of course, I, I sort of posted that just to get a little bit of, uh, you know, get, get some of the younger people. To, <laughs> and, of course, they all, they, a, a few of them buzzed in and, you know, and then I got to lecture them a little bit. Well, you know, uh, students, student life prepares you for, you know, life as an adult and all. And... I can tell you about stress because stress becomes a thing that you have to deal with throughout your life. It's not just students. Stress. This is the answer they're giving. I need to be able to deal with the stress of being a student. Yeah, exactly. So I'm saying, as if stress ends after college, you you will have a lot more stress. Uh, so you'll smoke a lot more pot. Is the yeah, short form? Yeah. And of course, uh, as soon as uh, I, I, I post that, then everyone sort of chimed in and said, well, what about alcohol? I wish they did a study on alcohol and the effects on the brains uh, in, in college. Of course, you're not going to get that because it's all legalized. So, well, well, and I don't think people drink as much alcohol as they do if they start smoking marijuana and they're doing it as a regular user. They're smoking marijuana almost every day. I don't think everyone out there who's drinking alcohol is drinking alcohol every day. Students are not going to class hammered. Mm-hmm. But they could be buzzed. See, the, the thing about this, and you're absolutely right, and, and we'll get to the alcohol thing in just a second, because I know that that is the default answer and the default thing that you have to defend if you're going to say this is maybe mm-hmm. not a good idea. And we'll get to that in a second. But, Brad, you've been a politician at, at various levels, and it seems to me that politicians love to tell us what is good for us, that we have to pass this law a lot of the time because this is good for you. But here we have something that pro- that appears to be clearly not necessarily good for everybody 
but it looks good for the politicians for their votes. Does this, if does passing something like this make it seem hypocritical for every other time they want to say we have to do what's good for you? They they continue to sell cigarettes legally, and it's been verified that cigarettes are killing people. But they continue to to allow them for sale, and they collect huge amounts of taxes. That in itself is hypocrisy. So why wouldn't they continue the hypocrisy and say, wow, there's a lot of revenue here. Let's sell marijuana. I guess for me, the biggest issue here, and it's always been the biggest issue, is if, you, if you're if you an adult, if you're 25, 30, 35, 40, whatever, and you want to smoke a joint, you know, that's, I, I'm primary, I'm pretty much a libertarian. If you, I don't do it, but if you want to really do it, then fine. But if all these studies are showing, Graham, that that if you do it before you're 25, it is, ca- it, we're not saying maybe, they're all saying it is causing damage to many of your brains. It is changing the wiring of your brains. Why are there no politicians that are having the guts to say, we'll make this legal? Well, that's not true. There are some politicians that are, are, are saying that. There are many uh, conservative politicians that are saying it, and they get trounced on uh, by... Um, As being... Far, yeah, they're just old naive fogies. Old they're fogies, naive right. old fogies. They haven't caught up with the rest of the world. They don't understand what it's like. Um, I, I, you know, it's... It's really challenging to deal with a politician who has made a commitment in a political campaign to step back and look at that commitment and say, yes, this still makes sense, it's rational, it's pragmatic, or do they just drive it through at any cost? Most of them will drive it through at any cost because nobody wants to to backflip, except when it comes to election reform, I guess. They break their promises all the time. Why, why not look at this one and say, hey, we, the science is saying that we need to rethink this for a little more. They break some Convenient. election. Well, the election reform is a perfect example. Who, who benefits from the parliamentary system that we have right now except the, power, the, the party that's in power? Historically, an incumbent government will score very well. So changing that electoral reform, and I remember we were on a show together and I predicted he'll never change it. He'll come up with an excuse, and he did. Um, but on marijuana, that's one it's going to be difficult for him to do. So, Graham, is this, do you think this is then what Brad said right off the top? This is an easy way to get younger voters to come out, which is why this is such a needed change, a needed legalization? Or is there something else to it? Oh, well, there's money. Money is a big thing. Well, there's that too. And, and it's not just getting the revenues from the, uh, you know, from the marijuana or the alcohol or the cigarettes, whatever. Uh, it's the bureaucracy that you built around bringing in legalized marijuana. Think of the the all the jobs that are going to bigger government. The bigger government. Well, let's. I mean, come on. Uh, government is like an industry in this problem. Remember when Hudak said he was going to get rid of all those those jobs? Well, you're basically killing a big part of your your economy by doing that. And bureaucracy is part of our economy. So the mere the marijuana bureaucracy and the business that's going to bring it is is just too uh, delicious for our government to pass up. But even if, okay, and that's, that's, that's a great point, but let's go back, just take a half step back to the money side because it is going to mean more taxes. But if we're looking at, if these scientific studies are correct, 
are we not saying we're going to be bringing in all kinds of tax dollars, but we could be creating all kinds of other things we're going to have to spend money to fix then? Assuming peer-reviewed scientific studies are correct, then the government should be looking at it and saying, well, the age of consent for marijuana would be age 25 and see that, based on the study. But they're not going to do that, Scott. No, and I believe because they realize that the group that is going to spend the most money on marijuana is going to be under 25. It's going to be the 19 to 25 year olds in university and in high school. And and here's the challenge. The government has been horrible at keeping alcohol and cigarettes out of the hands of minors. So how are they going to do such a great job at keeping marijuana out of the hands of minors? Especially when you can get them in jujube beads now. <laughs> what do they call those? The little candies that you can eat. So what about the alcohol thing, though? Because that, again, that is, the, that is always the answer that is the fireback answer. If you're saying we will, you legalize alcohol, so why not legalize marijuana? What is the answer? Is there an answer to that? There's many answers, but I'm not sure which one would be right. Yeah, you can legalize it. You can do exactly what you did with alcohol, but you should be uh, looking at exactly what the risks are and trying to mitigate those risks. At the present time, and I happen to side with the premiers across the country right now, they're saying it's moving too fast. The provinces are not ready because it's a federal initial, federally, federally initiated program, but the provinces will be running it. And they run uh, liquor completely different. Um, there's no LCBO in, in in Alberta, you know, stores are open, whereas in Ontario, it's almost a monopoly. Um, so the provinces have to get the head around it. But the doctors are saying equally, you have to let us understand what we're doing here. How do I prescribe it? What's what's the, the correct amount to prescribe? I mean, there's a whole lot of things around it that have not been ironed out. Graham, wouldn't it be advantageous to the prime minister rather than trying to hurry this through to make this take a long time and maybe still be in the works when the next election rolls around. Not We're not gassing it. We're not saying it's not going to happen. But the provinces need more time. Because if he passes this now, well, that's an election issue that isn't mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. for the young people that mm-hmm. he's trying to court the next time. Seems to me that it's way more advantageous to him to drag this thing out for three or four well, more maybe, years. Maybe that's part of the strategy. Uh, I mean, the plan is to have it all legalized by July 1st next year. I don't think it's going to happen. I've heard some ministers actually come out and actually say it's not going to happen. And when you've got all these different premiers um, sort of dragging their feet a little bit and, and saying, airing their own concerns, I could see this taking a few more than a few more years. But it, I think it's going to happen before the next election. So you can strike that off his list as a, a, a promise uh, kept. Yeah, I, I, I think... Graham's right. He, he will do it before the next election. It, it will be legitimate before the next election. His end of it will be done. What the provinces do may be different. So he, if, he, if he passes the bill and, and passes um, the regulations in place and now says, okay, provinces, here's how you're doing it at our end. You figure out your end. That could still take a couple of years, but that's not his fault. That's the province. But the, the, the thing that isn't being discussed is the, uh, I mean, with the provinces, it's, it's fine. We have this mess. But there hasn't been much talk with uh, what about our big neighbor to the south? I mean, oh. <laughs> there's, there's an issue that has just not come up at all. I mean, the state governments are, are you know, in a mess with the federal government because they, they're not on, on, on side with the state governments. But what about Donald Trump's, 
government over the next three years. I know he loves Trudeau, but uh, well, is he going to be on side with marijuana? Will this? Will this? He loves Trudeau either. <laughs> well, he says he does, but it's all part of a strategy. <laughs> Trump says he's your friend. Be careful. But honestly, it's a great point though. When we go to then cross the border to go into Buffalo oh, or go to Florida to the to Buffalo to the airport or whatever, are we going to find the wait times now because they're going to be checking? They're going to have the drug dogs out there checking. I wouldn't cars be buying any oregano at the grocery stores over there and bringing it back. <laughs> You'll get busted for sure. But you know what? That's a, that's a that's a huge point though because if this is something that they don't agree to and how many people and they won't I don't believe the states if you accidentally if you've got your stash in your car and you decide you're going to go across and you forget that it's there I don't think they're going to say oh never mind we know you've got legal laws so we'll we'll give you a pass this time I don't see that happening mm-hmm. no they'll open up a new prison <laughs> right at the border, right at the border. A of private each, prison that will make money for Canadians caught with marijuana in America. At each border crossing, there will be a new prison built just for the uh, for the drug For the mules. wacky Canucks. Yeah. That's a great, you know, it's great, though, that's a, that's a really great point because it's it's something that will be, it will happen. It will happen and the borders will, I now that you say it, it would make all the sense in the world. They will slow down. It will be tougher to get through. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's, maybe that's Justin Trudeau's secret plan. Deter everyone from crossing the border to keep all the money in Canada. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's his secret plan. I don't think he's clever enough to have come up with that secret nefarious plan, but maybe it is. Maybe that's the way he's going to do it. Perhaps he thinks that if everyone in Canada is stoned at the next election, <laughs> he'll get every elected hands down. <laughs> well, that's, that's see, again. I'm being slightly facetious, but slightly I don't know. <laughs> but I, but if, if this passes... Dude, that was that was a vote. That was a, a, an election <laughs> promise. That I believe that generated a fair number of voters. And if that Absolutely. passes, those people are just going to stay home because what? What am I going to vote for now? What am I? He's got to come up. He's going to oh, have no, to come no, up no, with something no, else. No, Justin's too smart. He'll come out and say that Andrew Shear is against marijuana, eh? and <laughs> for sure he's going to claw it back. You got to vote for me. <laughs> this time it'll be legalized cocaine all around. I'm waiting to see if any of them will take pictures holding a doobie in their hand. Well, someone smoking in the in the yeah. courtyard of well, Parliament Hill, it, the it, Prime it, Minister, just in the cabinet office here. We oh, just just well. before the meeting, we're going to have a. Little All right, toke. before we go to a break, what about that? Would that what would happen, Graham? I think people are it, half expecting Justin Trudeau will be doing that. If it was legal, and Justin Trudeau stood in the courtyard as a symbolic gesture and lit up a doobie, how would that play? I can see it in a communication plan somewhere. <laughs> 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 the pros and cons of Justin Trudeau as a stoned PM. I think he can do it. He just has to do it in the right, proper way. I don't know, surround himself with s- certain members of society. I don't, if, if he did it with Indigenous peoples, it might work. You know, uh, who knows? It's it's a organic sort of herb. and Well, especially because we're hearing a lot of people now, a, a lot of Indigenous leaders saying, we want to be able to grow it on the... This is a I way you can... Oh, there's another there's battle. I, up at the cottage two weeks ago, I was reading a 100%. story in one of the papers that one of the... I can't remember his name now. Who was the former head of the, um, uh, the Indigenous group across Canada who said, if you want to make good with us in some yeah. way, allow us to cultivate and run the marijuana operation once it's legalized. And... Then I read further, and it said something about he had a 50% stake in this business that, uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's going to make all the indigenous people happy, but, you know, whatever. It's, it's, it, I'm with you, Brett. It's moving so quickly. We don't know, and I'm looking at this saying, whatever money comes in in taxes, we're going to be spending, maybe not the first year, but a year, two, three down the road in medical things, in other issues that we don't but even know about yet. It's not the first yet. time any politician at any level has come forward with a platform and said, well, I made this commitment, and come hell or high water, I am going to make this happen. 
and they proceed down that road even in the face of significant opposition or concerns that cannot be mitigated. And and it's just surprising that today we still see this on an issue like this. But did he not say the exact same thing about the electoral reform? Mm -hmm. 100%. So why is this an absolute urgent need that we must, regardless of what issues crop up, we must jam through the marijuana legalization, but the electoral reform... Have you seen how much money they're spending? Well... And I go back to what Graham said then. There's, there's probably just too much money and too many tax dollars. We have a government that's way in debt now, and if you can make a billion or two a year in pot a revenue... A billion or two? Well, you don't oh, think... In, in, it'll be much more. Oh, okay, I was going to say. And definitely, that, there you go. That's, it's I money mean, they're there. They're talking about a small amount, but I, you know, if, you're, if they're trying to wrestle it out of the hands of organized crime, it's going to be a significant undertaking, and there's going to be a lot of money made across yeah. this province. I, I think actually electoral reform probably would have been easier for the prime minister. If everyone was high. Yeah. Maybe that's the way well, to maybe, do it. Get everyone maybe high that's the- and then pass electoral reform. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Oh, by the way, just before we move on, a little bit of news today. I mentioned it last night, something to keep up on this weekend. Mackenzie Hughes, Dundas golfer, only four strokes off the lead at the Canadian Open going into the weekend. Doing very, very well. He is, um, keep an eye on him as you check in on TV or on social media, whatever, this weekend. If Canada has not had a winner, a homegrown winner since 1954, who knows? May, maybe this is the week. Go Dundas. Go Dundas, is indeed, yes. As from a Dundasian. Yes. Or is it a Dundasite? Dundasian. A Dundasian. A Dundasite? <laughs> well, I always wondered, if you're from Paris, are you a Parisian or a Parasite? Parisian. Uh, but here, Paris, Ontario. Oh, I, I have no idea. I don't know either. What's a Stony Creek? You're a Stony Cricker. Creek. Cricker, okay. Re- really? Absolutely. There's an Ancast, right? There's a Flamboronian? What's that that what sounds like a really bad I, sausage. <laughs> what do you call someone who's from Flamborough? I am not eating a Flamborough. <laughs> <laughs> well, remember when they were going to amalgamate Flam, Flamborough, Dundas, <laughs> oh, that, that one Flambastardassian. <laughs> <laughs> you just liked it because it had asterisk in it. Exactly. <laughs> asterisk. But that, oh, sorry. That, writing, that writing name, though, was ridiculously long. <laughs> <laughs> The David Sweet riding that he always won was... I like how they change it now. Now it's H-Wad. That sounds disgusting. <laughs> H-Wad. <laughs> what do you call it? Why? Who makes up these acronyms? Well, it's the same people who in, in Philadelphia, the city with the angriest sports fans, named their hockey arena the first union center, which is the FU center, Yeah. which just, you know, is perfect. That's like, remember the conservative party and the reform party? They finally merged together. We're going to have a new name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Conservative Reform Alliance Party. Yeah, the it crap. spells crap. Yep, yep. <laughs> and no one saw that. Come no, on. No. Yep. They were as they, they were, were print- smoking something, Scott. That's <laughs> right. As they were printing out the uh, the mis- the stuff, the paperwork. <laughs> someone wait a this second. This says crap. Is that is that supposed to say crap? <laughs> I'll tell you a true story. And Graham, you've, uh, Graham probably knows this one from the Spectator. This was many many years ago. I was just new at the paper, and there was a I don't I can't remember what the what the story was exactly, but it was a main headline, a big headline across the top of the page that was something about there's going to be, you know, public meetings called or something in big. And the this headline... have been in Hamilton. It was, and it got caught down on the presses because it went through the people who oh, typed it on the page. It went through the proofreaders. It went through spell check. And somebody called up and goes, are we really having pubic meetings? No. <laughs> And 
just before the paper hit the presses, that got changed. And that's the last time they hired a dyslexic editor. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, because the problem is it's a word. So even spell check doesn't catch it. And I'm telling you what, you oh, if you want to try if you want to test something, go to someone you love and write out the word <laughs> pubic yeah. and put it with a sentence where the word should be public. And ask yeah. them to say what the sentence reads. I guarantee your brain registers. Mm-hmm. As, anyway, that was that that guy down in the press room. I remember the editor who was on that night bought him a case of beer because the alternative, <laughs> if one hundred and ten thousand papers had gone out about pubic meetings in Hamilton, would have been well, we would have been on Jay Leno for sure, and that would have been just the start. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show weeknights from seven to nine on AM nine hundred CHML. Hey, speaking of spelling and teaching, uh, Huffington Post piece this week in Canada, Huffington Post Canada piece, um, postulates or poses a really interesting idea about teachers. Now, teachers, I know none of them are listening right now because they're on holidays and they're all up at the cottage. I'm kidding. But the proposal here is if we want to improve our education system, Rather than new ideas and new programs and new EQAO tests and new schools and new whatever, simply demand more from teachers. Simply demand better teachers. The good teachers, and there are many of them out there, will carry on with their jobs and will continue to do the excellent job they're doing. But we got to figure out a way to weed out the chaff. What do you think about that? I mean, I'm not arguing whether it's possible because we know teachers unions would never allow this to happen. But what do you think about the idea generally as a way to make our education system more competitive? Is that, does that make sense? It's a tricky issue. It's as a cartoonist, I can say this. I, I try to avoid cartoons that deal with um, the uh, indigenous people, the mafia and teachers. Um, <laughs> Those three. I, I have, I have ch- and doctors too. Because I have children, and if I'm going to, you know, sort of wade wade into what I think teachers should be doing, then I I put myself in some some jeopardy and my children in jeopardy. So I'm not going to sit out here, but I'm just going to say it's a it's, it's it's a tricky question that you pose here, Scott. Well, what they have come up with, what the writer of this piece has suggested, is that we follow the fin- Finnish model, and in Finland, apparently, all teachers in Finland have a master's degree, receive a high level of training and mentorship, and the Competent and basically, they have the same status as doctors and lawyers. Hmm. And there is such incredible competition to be a teacher that they they choose the best. Quite simply, if mm-hmm. you are doing your job really well, you or if you can show you can do it, you get to be a teacher. It's not based on seniority. It's not based on how long you've been a substitute teacher. It's not based on how long you've been with the school board. It is entirely based on merit. Hmm. And that, to me. Brad, seems like a pretty logical, pretty sensible idea. If you are good at the job, you get to do the job. And if you're not, unions shouldn't be protecting you. I think based on merit is always uh, the ideal situation. Um, I, I cannot think of a way of seeing that happen in Ontario without tremendous labor disruption. No, like two to three years of kids being out of school. I, I just, I, I mean, the... the the union leaders for the teachers do a very good job of representing uh, their members. They are strong-willed, they are passionate, um, and they are not going to give up any ground for any teacher that is currently working in the system um, and a merit-based system they're not going to, to support. I, I just can't see it happening. And is that, and, and there's a lot of unions that 
don't necessarily have the public support. So, I mean, if a teacher's went on strike for a year, the problem is they're in a different situation from a lot of other things. Because, Graham, you're a parent. If suddenly now you and your wife, if you and Wendy have to figure out daycare for a year or for six months, that's a huge nightmare. So basically everyone says, just get the teachers back to work. It's too inconvenient Mm -hmm. to have them off. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, certainly when they're they're young. I mean, I don't have a problem now, but uh, they're old enough to look after themselves. But uh, yeah, I, I I'm with Brad. I'm I'm. I mean, I think the unions would would obviously have enough clout to prevent that from happening. I mean, you you cite this the, the situation in Finland, is it? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, for for teachers, it's very <coughs> difficult now to get out of teachers' college and actually get a job in teaching anyway. I mean, I, I know of of. Uh, of people who are into their 30s who, who haven't been able to get a, a full-time gig with a board of education anywhere. They, they get plenty of substitute uh, But is jobs. that because of a lack of ability or is that because simply the way the system works is you get into the line behind the substitute well, there, teachers and when your turn comes and so you've got to put in your time. a 10-year kind of thing that's happening in our high schools and our elementary schools uh, that keeps the younger people out. Unfortunately, because I think the younger we need m- more younger people in in the schools and less of the ones who are sort of going crazy into their sixties. I think if they were to put a push for younger qualified teachers, um, I think the passion is there for the younger teachers for sure. Um, the question is, how do we actually identify the merit when we say it's merit based? On what the we have students who are not doing exceedingly well on the EQAO. Um, what's the outcome from that? If we haven't even be, been able to ascertain what the the mitigation is for a classroom that failed the EQAO test, then I dare say that we can't come up with a merit-based system across the entire province to bring on masters teachers only. Well, there's two answers to your question uh, from this, based on this, of what they do. Again, using Finland as the example. And I, I honestly, I don't know if Finland is the utopia of education. This is just an example they're using. The one is admissions to teachers' colleges is severely restricted. So far fewer people are coming out. The, the, the competition to become a teacher is immensely difficult. So you have to go through a variety of things just to be one of those selected, much like it would be for medical school. And the second part would be that when you go to get hired, it's not just because you've been a substitute teacher now for five years and you've waited your turn. You have to, there are competitions based on teaching. You go and you teach a class or two or three or four, and then they decide who are the ones who really engage and look like they're going to be good teachers. Those are two things that we, I don't think we do those So then they could tackle it in another manner then. They they could indicate, much like they did with the nurses. Um, We used to have nurses that were working that had the two-year college uh, certificate, and then it was changed to they needed a degree. Um, in order to 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 get that nurse's position, the registered nurse, um, do the same thing with with teachers. They say, okay, over a period of time, we're ratcheting up the qualifications, but that would so have not to, overnight. No, it would have to be over a period of time. You'd have to have some public consultation. There'd have to be some academics involved, but they could very much uh, invigorate uh, the curriculum. Uh, for the university students who are wanting to be teachers and, and, and improve their ability to actually impart knowledge. Graham, I don't, I'm not going to ask you any names. I, I don't want to put you and your kids in the spot. But from what you hear from your, from your girls, 
Any guess on what percentage of their teachers you would say would be great teachers? You don't have to say who they are, but is it? Are, do they come home and they say every teacher? Do you believe that every teacher that teaches them is a great teacher, or do you say no? They have some great teachers, and they have some that I think could we could do better. Again, it's it's. <laughs> I, I don't want to beat up on the teachers, but there are you know what? There but was, there are there was the a study that came ones. out that said that. Uh, apparently, a lot of the teachers nowadays can't do math very well at all. And how many that, parents can? And how many parents can? We live in a, in a world where we've got calculators at our fingertips. Right. So, um, are, are are there going to be uh, measures made now to make sure that that you have more qualified teachers in math? I would hope so. I think obviously, with every generation of teachers that come in, there there's successes and failures. And it depends on how old the, the teachers are, obviously. I, I think some of the older ones have a, a different sort of, uh, of knowledge of different subjects. The newer ones have gone through different philosophies in the universities and everything. So, so I, I think it's good to have a good mix of teachers of different generations. Here's the thing, and I, I understand exactly what your position is. You don't want to get the teachers thinking you're dumping on. I really believe that the good teachers know who they are and would want to have other people being good teachers because let's say let's say you're a great the system doesn't help good I know, teachers I know but let's say you're a teacher in grade 10 and you're <clears throat> teaching a math course a grade 10 math course and the teacher who was the grade 9 math teacher was awful you can't just jump in and teach grade 10 math now you've got to back up and do their job for or them or you leave the kids behind or the kids fall behind and if you're a good teacher you're not willing to do that. So you are doing double the work. You are having to carry the load. So I really believe, uh, Graham, while I completely understand the position you're taking, the good teachers out there would want to weed out the bad teachers. I don't, and They can't say that because the union would clobber them over the head, I'm sure. But they would want the bad teachers to be weeded out and to have good teachers up and down the system because it would make their job easier. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's an interesting piece. Huffington Post, Canada. The headline is, if I can get to it, want to save education, hold would-be teachers to a higher standard. You can agree, you can disagree, give it a read. It is it is worth at least having it as a bit of a food for thought. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Uh, there was an interesting piece on the spec.com. we got just a few minutes for this, and I think it was in the paper this week, uh, I can't even remember now, about somebody, some people not being happy that, we all remember the pop shop, that, you know, as kids, the pop shop in some fashion has made a bit of a comeback, but now it's, they're coming out with hard pop. Have you, you tried can, it? I have. And the cream soda, I'll tell you, I almost, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people find it delicious. I almost needed a shot of uh, insulin after. It was so sweet. Mm. Lime Ricky tastes just like the pop. Does it? Except there's a hammer that comes with yeah. it. <laughs> but is it, so the people were upset and I'm, again, it's, it's, it's very popular. It's getting a lot of sales. People love it, obviously. And it was, it was very tasty. It was sweet, but it was very tasty. But a lot of people are upset that this is tricking young people. And mm. tr- it's the, it's the Joe Camel of the And my alcohol cousin Patty upset. said, here, you got to try this. It tastes just like the pop shop. With a little extra. It, and so I tasted it and it tasted just like Lime Ricky. So is that a problem? For me, because I, I don't drink. So I'm, I'm, I had this in front of me and I had a, a few sips of it and my wife had to take over because I was getting hammered. <laughs> so think about young people yeah, but who don't drink, but get a hold of that but, and yeah. they think it t- tastes like pop. Are the young people going to even associate the pop shop? You know, with this great, you know, pop store that we used to get our pop Only that many, many, many decades it. ago. And it's very colorful. See, that's, that to me, it's, I don't know whether the idea here is that it's the pop shop 
or whether it is a colorful can that looks they're like appe- it's something that younger people, that kids would say, hey, that looks delicious. They're appealing to the boomers, right? Yeah. Sure. They're the ones that would remember the pop shop. Yeah. But then when they take it home, local. but Brad, when they take it home and put it in the fridge, they're saying this is a can that the kid at home will grab because it says pop and it looks really colorful and looks really fun. And it's, th- that's, is, do they have a case? I don't, I don't see this as a problem. I, no. I don't really, I'm not putting any blame on the pop shop. I don't think there's an issue here. Have you seen some of the collective arts uh, beer exactly. cans? There's some very nice artistic cans. There, there, there's one with Fidel Castro's face on it the other day that I saw, which looked very good. Have you, do, I, now I don't go and buy uh, individual, I mean, I do at times individual bottles of beer or something, but I got to tell you. When I do that, when I don't go and get something else and I'm looking through and I go, almost all my choices, I never look at the labels and say, oh, look how many hops and barley and all the rest. It's who has the coolest looking label that draws my attention. So the the same thing, it works for adults. It's not just an issue with kids. I'm buying on those times, I'm buying because it looks like a nice looking label. I think a lot of people who are beer drinkers are trying different beers. When when we were young, it was, um, oh, I'm trying to think, uh, Black Label and Labatt's Blue, and you drank your Export beer. A. You <laughs> drank your beer, and that was, you know, my dad drank Labatt's Blue, and that's it, and only Labatt's Blue. Now, people are going out and buying all different types of beer, microbrewery beers, trying things and experimenting and, and the share on the larger ones have dropped. But Hence because, the buying out all the microbreweries. But because of the labels. I'm convinced sure. that most of the purchases, m- most of the purchases are because you go, oh, that looks neat. That How looks good. How many people collect old beer cans? As a visual artist, I can say. It's exactly. a power of persuasion. And he art buys it count. for the art. Yes. <laughs> but everything, here's the problem with the, with the argument, and maybe it's this, maybe it's backs up their idea that this is a problem, but everything, you go to a grocery store and it's all packaged in a way that is it meant to entice you to buy it. The packaging makes you think it will taste good. There's two it's words for it, consumerism and marketing. Right. That's what they're doing. They get suck you right in. And look at where they set them up. I mean, when you're walking out of a grocery store, they've got this long aisle of all the, the quick buys. Oh, 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 I could eat that. And next thing you know, you got six more things in the, in the buggy. And three magazines with Angelina Jolie on the cover. <laughs> now, now, now you can get your beer in the grocery store. And look at how they're marketing it there. It's all on the fancy, colorful bottles. And mm-hmm. It's an interesting idea. I don't have a problem with it at all, but apparently a few people do. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Let's, get, let's talk Stephen politics Harper? for a couple of minutes. Well, him too. <laughs> because we have two people who in here who know their politics very well from completely different backgrounds. But I want to go at this from a slightly different tone, and I want to go in the States, but not with Donald Trump. We, we, we try, we'll leave him alone, alone for a minute. He gets talked about enough. But there is lots of talk that in the next election, you are looking at a possibility of Kid Rock, who is the um, rapper slash singer slash whatever he is, uh, and The Rock. There's a lot of rocks who are... Uh, but the whole idea of celebrities running for office seems to be getting more and more... More and more celebrities seem to be either wanting to go in or being pushed or being directed into running for public office. Is that a good thing? 
Is that a good thing, Graham, that we would have a bunch of celebrities say, hey, you know what? I want to take a crack at this thing. We've had Arnold Schwarzenegger. Donald sure. Trump was a celebrity. <laughs> but is it a good thing? We also had Gary Coleman, if you recall. Gary Coleman. We had, uh, uh, who was the wrestler the, uh, uh, from Jesse, Minnesota? Oh, Jesse Ventura. Jesse Ventura, yeah. I mean, there have been lots of, Ronald Reagan was, a, yeah. was a, as an actor. Is it a good thing? Well, I, I think, obviously, if you're known to the public, uh, I think our own prime minister He's. It's not just his prime minister. His, his dad is prime minister. Like on him is, he was the son of the prime minister, and that, and we watched him grow up. So obviously that certainly helped him. Um, yes, yeah, celebrities have. I don't think it's a new thing either. I think it goes no. way back. Well, Hamilton has a long, rich history of mm-hmm. local media members: Bob Bertina, Jennifer Mossop. Uh, Donna Skelly, who am I forgetting? Uh, uh, Stan Keyes, Bill, uh, Bill Kelly. It's Jeff Scott. I, I know Scott. I'm forgetting a whole oh, bunch yeah. of people. There's many more that I am forgetting about. Dan McLean took a stab at it briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Connie Smith ever has, not yet. Connie, if you're listening, time to run for politics. <laughs> you're the only one. But it, so, I mean, it's happened. You're right. It's not a new thing. It just, maybe what I'm noticing is it seems the, the, celebrities that are being talked about or con- con- contemplating throwing their hat into the ring are getting more and more ludicrous. Maybe that's the point. Kid Rock is not someone you look at and go, yeah, that's a senator. Political parties, uh, and I can speak to Canada, I don't know about the states as much, but they, they spend a lot of energy on a, on a candidate nomination committee, whether or not it's provincial, federal, local writings. And they really, they start at the very... T- what are the names in the community? Who are the names in the community? So, so we don't have to spend a lot of time. It because you need that, that notoriety, that familiarity, that people recognize the name. Name recognition is really huge. But name recognition doesn't guarantee you the, the election. Uh, I had really high name recognition and I lost to Jennifer Mossop. She had equally high name recognition. Um, and it doesn't pan out that simply because you're a celebrity or well-known that you're going to be a good politician. That's a, no, but that's a whole <coughs> different, now that's the question I'm asking, whether this is a good thing, right? Because we yeah, see- It frankly scares me. I, I mean, when people say Ronald Reagan and they say well, Trump's like Ronald Reagan, well, wait a minute. Ronald Reagan ran for governor, was governor successfully, and then then moved on to to, to was he not the head of the Screen Actors Guild before yes, then he had had yeah. political like he, experience? He had experience and he was a thoughtful man. Uh, we now have people like Donald Trump, who's you know just ri- riding a wave of of animosity and anger, um, and getting away with it, quite frankly, with absolutely no skill set in the political arena and foreign affairs. He's he's dumb as a stump, uh, and he's the president of the United States. Uh, that scares the hell out of me. See, I don't know how dumb he is. I, I'm not arguing that. Uh, uh, listen, we're not getting into the whole political thing. I don't think he's a dumb man. I think he's actually very clever because I think that a lot of the stuff he's doing is very intentional and it has and it has served him well. He may I'm not be a saying smart businessman, but that does not mean he is a smart politician. There is a vast difference between smartness or intelligence and wisdom. I'm not saying he's a wise man. I'm saying I don't think he's a dumb man. If he had wisdom, there's I'm a lot of things that he would do. A stump. <laughs> He doesn't know anything about politics. He doesn't know anything about economics. He knows how to make a deal, sell a deal, and he's falling flat on his face because he has no ability to actually equate uh, dialogue with foreign heads of, uh, of state. I mean, he's failing miserably. He has become a laughingstock internationally, and that is going to have a huge 
um, repercussion on, on American relations and on the economy, on everything that's going on in the world right now. So does it become better, Graham, if we have Senator Kid Rock and Senator The Rock who win the election next time who represent their particular area? Well, uh, I, Kid Rock is, is relatively old. He's an old, aging rocker. I don't think a lot of people really know. I mean, the smart thing about Donald Trump was that he made himself famous. I mean, he's been around for, for years and years, but he made himself a celebrity in the last 15 years leading up to becoming president. So, yeah, I, I agree. There is some obvious smarts to him. But Kid Rock, no, because he, he's old and, and, and The Rock, I guess he's making some recently good movies, but they're... Well, successful movies. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's a strategic thing on either part to uh, make themselves a, a great politician or anything like that. And and I can't think of anyone uh, in comparison to Donald Trump in, in getting it right before he becomes the powerful guy that I he is. I was nervous about uh, Justin Trudeau because he he was... Um, You're not still? This, As a conservative, you're not still? No, let me finish the statement. He, he was um, the sexy celebrity. His father was famous. His mother was famous. Um, he was being well-received. Um, and I, I found his commentary to be shallow. I found that he didn't really understand the issues, and, the, and they were, there were catchphrases that he was running on. Had a good platform, and he had a name, and he got elected. Um, I think he's doing well now because of his cabinet that he has behind him more than he himself. So here's a man who probably recognizes that he doesn't have all the skills required to be a great prime minister, but he put a good cabinet around him. Mm -hmm. And as a result, they're getting some good decisions and he's still looking good. Is okay. That's one thought behind why he may be looking good to some people. The other thought is that because he's not Donald Trump, you're going to look good. The Rolling Stone magazine has him on the cover this week, and the whole article is basically how he's not Donald Trump, so he must mm-hmm. be good. But the other thing is he's also not uh, Stephen Harper, and Stephen Harper was a control freak. Justin Trudeau is not a control freak. He's, he, is like, he is like Donald Trump in a way. They're both sort of spokesmen for their, administ- their respective administrations, I think. Eight years from now, we'll see whether or not you still say that Justin isn't a control freak, because I don't know too many people in the center um, that aren't. And over time, they burn a lot of bridges, and those bridges start to squawk. Well, I think the people that he surrounds himself with are control freaks. I don't think he necessarily is. Does having Justin Trudeau on the cover of an American magazine like Rolling Stone... Now, once upon a time, Rolling Stone had a lot of cachet. In recent years, it's found itself at the center of a lot of controversy and some gigantic lawsuits and things about sexual assault that proved not to be true and all the rest. But on a magazine that is a big deal magazine still in the States, does that... In any way, does that help Canada? Does that bolster Canada, or does that only bolster Justin Trudeau? It bolsters Canada. You think so? Absolutely. It doesn't matter who the prime minister is. When their picture is on an American publication or European publication, he is the face of Canada. He or she is the face of Canada. Um, having that promotional ability, and Stephen Harper had it initially. He was well-received in a, in a lot of areas, and then as time went on, it just, it just kind of started falling apart. Um, Pierre Trudeau. Um, I was very young, but when Pierre Trudeau, I remember the the the, the crazy rallies and and much like Trump's rallies, people falling all over to to, to get close to this guy. Um, he was much loved, and and his picture was all over the place. And and the countries of the world 
they look to that type of leader and and whether or not he has a great deal of amount of substance or not he's getting in to talk to people he's actually having conversations he's looking for opportunities to fix things we'll see what happens over the next few years uh, trump's not getting in the doors anywhere i mean people don't want to talk to him mm-hmm. they're afraid of the backlash just being seen with him he had to hold the prime the, the president of france's hand <laughs> to like no you're going to get this picture with me i'm going to get this no 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 it was like they were arm wrestling trump has just become a, a laughing stock mm-hmm. people will surround trudeau on these international circuits and they won't want to talk to him they won't want to have dinner with him you won't see people calling up trump let me go back to where we started this thing it's interesting points let me go back to where we started this thing if i'll pull Three names out of the hat. Not hadn't given it. Martin Short, um, Mario Lemieux, and Celine Dion. <laughs> Why those three would ever think of wanting to run for politics? They've got enough money coming in. But if they ever decided to run, would that be a good thing? Go back to the celebrity thing. Is it a good thing if you have celebrities? Not. And again, not is it a good thing as in for the party they represent to get elected? Because if Celine Dion runs in Quebec, she's going to be elected. There's no question if she runs in a riding in Quebec, Celine Dion will get elected, Bobby Orr, Mary Lemieux, whatever. Is it good for the country or is it, Graham, is it just neutral? doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Is it a good thing or a bad thing or a neutral thing to have celebrities running? Well, I, I guess if you want to just take it back to the, the, the cover of, of the Rolling Stone, I mean, to, these people are well known in the United States, all three of the people that you've mentioned. So, yes, it's, I guess, internationally, it would be good, but... Uh, you know, they're not have a trade mission with Martin Short and Celine Dion and Mario Lemieux going down. To oh, it might be it might be fun to, to in the international world would, would obviously know who these people are. It might be good in that sense, but you know, in in in, in domestically, do they have what it takes to be a, a, a politician? I, I doubt it. I mean, come on, they're uh, they're the, singers they're, and hockey players and. Yeah. I mean, we've had other hockey We've loaded players. the Senate with people like that before. Yeah, yes, well, we but, have. Yeah, but they, they're part of a team, right, that does work. They're, they're not put in positions where they're, they're, they're leading a team. And right? that's what I was going to say, and Graham's absolutely correct. In Canada, it's a little bit different. In the United States, when you're a congressman or you're a senator, you can actually speak your own mind. And, and so, you know, having someone who comes into the politics with no experience at all can be rather dangerous in that situation. Whereas in Canada, we have a parliamentary system, so they become a part of the Liberal Party, the PC Party, and, and ultimately they, they become these, these individuals who use speaking notes that are provided to them from the center of the Premier's office, and mm-hmm. they give the message. Mm-hmm. So they become the messenger. Now, if they're a celebrity and they become the messenger for the government, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. It helps the government. It helps secure the integrity and the credibility of the government. Um, but if they're equally a celebrity and they start to draw attention away from the party, then they're going to get Or disagree with the party. Or disagree with the party. And if they speak up, God forbid a MPP ever speaks up against their own party. <laughs> You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. It was a commentary on globalnews.ca. With the headline, justice for sexual assault shouldn't be limited to the criminal system. And the, the point that the writer is saying is it's too hard now, oftentimes, to prove a case of sexual assault in criminal court because of the burden of mm. proof beyond a reasonable doubt that sometimes you have him versus her and you just have that and that's what the evidence is and you don't have something conclusive and therefore women who have come forward with claims 
maybe true, maybe not true, probably true, whatever. They are not in many cases being seen now as getting a fair shake. What I, I worry personally, when I hear people say we have to lower the burden of proof in specific crimes because there's an old saying, and one of you probably remember who said it, that better that a hundred guilty people go free than one innocent person be locked up. I mean, and that doesn't, and that's not to belittle people who are victims of sexual assault, but do either of you share that concern that, listen, I want people who have committed acts of sexual assault to be punished for those things. But I also don't want someone who didn't do it to end up paying a price because we have reduced the onus or the the level of proof that's required and therefore that guy's life is ruined because for whatever reason someone came up with something. I think there's two ways of looking at it. Um, The the average person who reads a story in, in The Spectator or sees something on CHTV and has righteous indignation and outrage in their heart over what has transpired, and we've seen many of those stories in the last few weeks, um, would envision a much tougher punishment that in, than is it allotted by law, legally, um, or that the government could do. Um, and, and I think that that is, is becoming more prevalent, that people are, are looking at um, justice as a means of getting even, as opposed to as justice being served. And when you talk to the judiciary, when you speak with judges and and lawyers who are uh, quite experienced in it, their biggest fear is exactly what you said. An innocent man or woman going to jail, um, that's something they all fear. They don't want that to happen. So the the test is um, beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, as opposed to on the balance of probabilities, which is really a, a much weaker statue or, or test for someone to prove. So um, it's easy for people to, to opine uh, that they'd like to see it uh, stronger. Uh, and I understand how difficult it is getting those, um, those charges through a courtroom uh, successfully. But isn't that exactly what that justice system is supposed to be? You know, the tests are there. What do you think? It's, it's a gender issue, though, isn't it? That's the elephant in the room here. It's men versus women in most cases. In right? a lot of cases, sure it is. But you don't. The reverse actually happens as well, where you you have women who abuse men as well, but, more often than people know. But the d- default always goes, well, the man has been accused of whatever to to a woman, and and so the burden is is on the the man to defend himself and and prove himself innocent you know and that and and that can surely happen and here's i've had i've had people on before when we've talked when the gian gomeshi thing or bill cosby or something and the the number that is understood or the number that is accepted as i understand it and if someone has a different number please let me know but the number that has been accepted is that something like only 8% of claims of sexual assault turn out to be fraudulent claims. 92% are based on legitimate things. I, I don't know how that number has been reached, but that's the number that is used. It's 6 to 8%. And so you say, yes, there should be 92% then of people who get convicted, and there's not that level. But the test is beyond a reasonable doubt. And at the same time, yes, and at, but at the same time, while it's a very small number, if I'm one of those 6 or 8%, 
I don't think that I should have to be collateral damage to make something easier for the other. I mean, it's it's very complicated, and that's the that's the difficult part about this. It's a very very co- it's a lot of people are throwing out ideas to try and make this simpler, and I think it's simplifying something that is so com- I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what the answer is to try and make this work better. It clearly doesn't work properly or perfectly or close to perfectly yet. There is no pers- perfect justice system. True. I don't think it exists anywhere in the world. There is human frailty in every justice system. Some are much more draconian. Some, O.J. Some, Simpson got you off. Know, exactly. And, and then he turns around and he's found uh, guilty of, of in, in the civil proceeding, which is balance of probability. Um, I think when we're talking about the criminal justice system, the test has to be beyond a reasonable doubt. There has to be a test that makes it very difficult for people to come in and, and make a false accusation without any evidence corroborating that false accusation and someone going to jail for it. I don't care what the crime is. There has to be evidence that supports that this actually uh, took place. Is that the answer? And and again, this makes it very complicated, but is that the answer? That if that we raise the penalties in those few cases where someone has made up a charge... And we saw this, if you remember, a very famous one down in the States years ago, the Duke lacrosse case, where mm-hmm. someone uh, alleged that three members of the Duke lacrosse team did horrible things to her, and it turned out that it was fabricated. And we saw this thing I mentioned, Rolling Stone magazine. They had a story that turns out that it wasn't, that they're in trouble with lawsuits and things about that. That in those rare cases where it truly is fabricated, that the person who made up that story faced punishments that would be similar to what the person would have faced had they been found guilty. Hmm. If it's uh, if it can be established, absolutely. I'm not saying we're, well, we can't really say for sure. If it becomes absolutely clear-cut that this was made up, that we say that that's not going to be tolerated. We are going to really crack down on that. Would that do the job? Would that deter those things enough that then we could find a way to make the other side, take some of the rules away to make the other side more provable? No, I I think in the rare instances where someone has fabricated a story about a rape or sexual assault, for whatever the reason may be, uh, we've heard them about some teachers that were accused and then they recant the story later on. Um, I don't think those people ever expected the situation to get into the criminal process. So it spiraled out of control. It spiraled out of control, and then it was difficult for them to backtrack on the story. The challenge is that when people are sexually assaulted, historically, uh, and my understanding is there's two people in the room, and that's it. And so if there isn't evidence there corroborating the story, the victim has a hell of a time and proving that the individual actually um, committed the sexual assault. And that's the issue here. And that, that is exactly the that issue. You, and so if you can't, if it's him versus her and he can be convincing, and I don't, look, I, for anyone listening saying I'm siding with the person who committed rape or sexual assault, I'm, no, not, not at all. I, those people who do that, I want them to be found guilty. I want them to be locked up. I just, I'm not sure how you make that more possible or make that more likely without weakening the beyond a reasonable doubt defense that someone is going to have that's going to keep innocent people. And that's why they use the balance as the, you know, the, the scale as that, 
that big um, visual. symbol, visual of, of the justice system. It's a balance. Graham, um, the writer of this suggests actually their their idea because this is based on a case that was in Toronto that got overturned a York University student and they overturned it because the appellate court ruled that the judge who made the ruling had basically made up part of the defense for the defense he had based on his readings of other things had injected stuff that wasn't even there in the case mm-hmm. and so it was overruled but the writer of this piece this opinion piece is saying you know maybe the answer to this is to have a system that falls much more towards or uses the civil system. So you're not going to end up with a beyond a reasonable doubt. It's on balance of power, on balance of probability, and you're not going to end up with a person going to jail for a long time, but at least you would have the satisfaction of being able to establish that the person did this to you. What What do you think about that idea? <laughs> you know, these are those issues that, as an editorial cartoonist, I, I just veer <laughs> away from totally because... You don't touch sexual who, assault cases? Uh, well, oh, Gian Gomeshi. You must have drawn Gian Gomeshi I, once I or twice. I did do uh, some Gian Gomeshi. How about Bill Cosby? I, I think uh, Bill Cosby, I did some too, but it's, you know... I leave it for the, the the legal experts. I'm not a legal expert myself. And, you know, I'm also, I hate to bring the gender thing up. There's three men talking about yeah, this I agree. around the table. And I know what you're, you're just saying, but it, it's a tricky, it, it really is a tricky issue to, to, to try to, like, figure out the legal system. And, and you know, you, you just hope that the, the system has got it right and, and, and that, uh, you know, the, the burden of, of, of getting the evidence and everything like that, the rule of law will apply and everything. You just hope that it works, but in many cases it doesn't. And then you think there's the whole, um, uh, if it's a big public case, there's, there's the, the court of public opinion that comes in too. So if you make false claims and, and it goes to like the, the courts, that person has to deal with the, the situation. If, if they found, uh, they've been found guilty, uh, their accusation is unlawful or... or, or and or it can work the other way too, right? Because Gian Gomeshi was acquitted. Bill Cosby has... Bill Cosby was acquitted, right? I'm trying to remember now what came out of that one or was it a hung jury? It was a hung jury on the, uh, mm-hmm. the Bill Cosby. But, but in both of those cases, even though they are not convicted, those guys are essentially convicted in, in the eyes of many, if not most of the people in the public. I think that the Attorney General in Canada uh, and in the provinces would be well advised to make sure that the judiciary is handling sexual assault trials appropriately. Maybe that's There are some starts. judges that are the old boys club um, judges, and, and we've seen many decisions written by some judges who are quite questionable. Um, if there was a specialty for uh, the judges and the justices that uh, on sexual assault, it went to some specific judges who, who had specific training both in the legal field and understanding sexual assaults, that would likely help uh, prevent some of the, the nonsense Interesting that we've idea. seen. I talked, we got to go to break. I talked about, uh, about this this week or last, I can't remember when it was, uh, about the idea of having professional jurors. Mm. The idea that rather than calling in 12 people off the street who each time you've got a new case, you have to explain the law. They don't really understand it, many of them, because that's not their world. That if you actually had professional jurors who sit in and and they get paid, but they listen to cases who know something about Mm. it, that to me me also would be an interesting idea for something like this as a trial to see if 
with familiarity with this, whether that would I, I don't I don't know. There's there's clearly something. We can't wrong. even get agreement in Ontario that civilian justices of the peace work. There's clearly something wrong. I'm just and, and, and we clearly need to fix this. I'm just very reluctant to start to say we have to make the ability to find someone guilty much, much, much easier and take away many of their defense. I, that can, that Look at how long it took to get an inquiry into to missing Indigenous women. And, and it was crying out for an inquiry. Mm-hmm. There's something wrong. The justice system isn't working. The police system isn't working. What's, what's the problem here? And no one wanted to call the inquiry because they said it's, up, you know, it's, a, it's a police matter. And No, wait a minute. If the system is broken and you start to see all these signals that there's a problem, then stop and sort it out. And they still haven't, they're still not moving forward with it. We could talk about this all night and probably um, have you jump in as well on this one because everyone will have their idea on what this should be. I, it is a problem. I just don't know that it's as simple as anyone has yet come out with solutions for this. There's a lot of solutions. I don't think any of them are working, though, because they all tend to be very, very simple. And this is not a simple thing. We'll leave it there for now, though. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Piece in the Hamilton Spectator today. By Barry Gray, who's going to be on this panel in a few weeks. He is a photographer at The Spectator, and he also does some writing. Great photographer. And his piece today is, Be a Tourist in Your Own Backyard. He's writing about the fact that we look everywhere for all this stuff to go see and do for our summer holidays and for whatever else. We look everywhere except here in Hamilton. So, Graham, I'm going to you first. I'm putting you right on the spot. Well, you know, I did What's a car- your thing? I, I, did, I did a cartoon this week, actually, remarking on the... Um the eighty cent dollar that that some of the newspapers yes, are going with the flexed poop loony and and I'm you know I'm I'm married to an American so we're often going down there we actually haven't gone down uh, for 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 several months and there's no real desire to go even if it's an eighty cent dollar and uh, I, I agree with Barry I mean there's there's plenty to see in our own backyard. There's so many trails to, to go on. So is that your thing? I was going to say when you have a day when you have time and you're going to stay in town yeah. and not sit on the couch and watch TV, which you don't do a lot of anyway. But what what is it in Hamilton? What What is the thing that you love to do in Hamilton okay, I, that I'm makes car- Hamilton special? I'm a cartoonist, so I'm going to raise one of my pet peeves. Uh, if you want to go to a... Uh, I, have, I have a dog named Penny. Actually, Penny is the sister of the mayor's dog. Really? Gosh, yes. You are, you're 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 related oh, to the mayor. You know that? Did you see that? You're related yeah, to the mayor. That's amazing. Like, dog like dog relations. Blood relation yes. now. So if I take Penny for a walk and I want to go on one of the trails... Um, I have to belong in many respects to the, um, uh, the, the Hamilton Conservation Authority. I have to have a membership if I want to have parking privileges really? in some of the places. Yes. If you go to the Dundas Valley Conservation Area, you can't park along Old Ancaster Road unless you are a member of the authority. Or you pay a fee. You, you don't. You can't even pay a fee. There's no, um, there's no ticket thing there. No. To, no. So that's not right. And that was where I grew up. I grew up along um, uh, Robin Hood Drive in Dundas, actually. So I want to take my dog for a walk there, but I couldn't because of the uh, the parking thing. So Penny left a uh, a, a, little <laughs> a little. Thank you very much. <laughs> but that I mean, really, it, th- we do have a, a great trail system. There are lots of f- free trails to go on. Uh, Coots Paradise is one of them. Obviously, the one that is 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 flooded right now. You can't go along that along the uh, the, the waterfront there. 
But and don't I mean, go to Albion Falls. And don't go to Albion. And don't go to a lot of the falls. Or if you're going to go there, at least just don't fall in. Don't climb them and take a selfie. That's <laughs> <laughs> but is that is that your thing then? Is that if you're the if you're a tourist at home, that's that's your the trails are your thing. We are so blessed with so many trails, and we we have the lake. We've got the escarpment. I sound like a uh, an ad here, but we we really are lucky. Like, and I don't think a lot of people appreciate the the trail system that we've got in the city. What's yours, Brad? What's your thing in Hamilton? If you're at home and you've got time, you're a tourist at home, as Barry describes it. What's your what's your tourist destination? I think hiking has become the number one thing. Um, wow, two I guys in hike, shape. Here. I have hiking sticks. That well, I got bad knees, so. Are you that guy who walks with the ski poles? I use the ski poles. Wow. I'm very careful because I don't <laughs> want to fall. Um, my granddaughters love going out on the trails with Papa. They just love it. They love the butterflies. They love looking at nature and getting up close to it. And there's so much you can do all within 30 minutes. In any direction, there, there's just tons. But I think we're our own worst enemies. We, you know, a lot of Hamiltonians complain that there's nothing around here to do, and they just got to get out and look around, and it, you know. Within 15 minutes, you can be in an area that you can't even hear the cars. You know, you're in a forest, um, and there's so many of those in Hamilton. Mm. Yeah, it is. uh, We do, and, you know, I go back to Graham's book that's coming out, another plug for You May Be From Hamilton If, but one of the funny things about it is there are so many things in there that we are so self-deprecating unintentionally. We are so oftentimes belittling of the things that we have here. That uh, it's that it, it always is amazing to me, and and not everybody I understand that, but I mean a lot of times like oh it's, you know it's Hamilton, some people no it's it's Hamilton, mm-hmm. honestly, and we sound like we're a public service announcement right now, but I I I feel strongly about that. Well, we grew up in a time period where it was known as the lunch bucket city, the steel city, um, and yet even in that time period, we still had all of these incredible amenities around our community that were natural. Um, but we, we talked about where there was pride in being the ambitious city and moving the city forward. Uh, now that, you know, the, the aging population is here, I think people are paying attention a little bit more to things around us. Um, you see an awful lot of seniors out walking the trails. Um, mm-hmm. It's good exercise mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. them. It's safe. You know, the trails are well looked after. There's nothing better than it. Well, there's one thing that's soon going to be better than it. The Hamilton sign in front of City Hall is going to be the place. That is, going to be, that is going to be the number one tourist destination in this city. There's going to be selfie people. I'm, I'm worried people, Graham, are going to be injured falling off the Hamilton sign now, like Albion Falls. The falls are going to be left behind. And, and we're just going to have... encouraging you to go out there with your, with your iPhones and everything to get your pictures taken. At the, at the falls? No, no at the at new the, Hamilton the, sign. No, the new Hamilton sign, yes. There's going to be rope rescues at the sign, I'm sure. I think they should leave the eye out of Hamilton. <laughs> And that can be where people go and get their selfies. Just stand, just stand down. there and put that's a hat actually, over your head. That's a pretty that's, good idea, you know, actually. That's the selfie. Put a little X on it. Selfie here. Yeah. That well, is actually, you know, so not joking. That is actually a really good I'm idea. I'm damn good at those ideas. But no one a, ever listens to me. <laughs> and for some people, we could take out the O. depends what kind of shape you're in your choice you get to pick which one is removed from your photo i got one guy that draws me and one guy that you know no not you not you i'm just saying there are some people in town that could probably fit that all pointing to the fat guy here okay guys (laughs) no one Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900, AM 900, CHML.